Bible, 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 going once, going twice. What's up, guys? Uh, good to see you, Cynthia. Good to see you. Um, all right. Anybody need a Bible? All right. All right. If you don't need a Bible, I'm good. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I mean, Hebrews chapter 12. This is kind of kind of be like a post-camp, like a postscript on youth camp. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, I got to find there as well. We flip around a lot of verses. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to start. And I said, I'm good, right? Everybody there say amen. amen. Oh, that was weak. Come on. Are you there? Say, all right. Hey, there you go. Thank you, Pete. All right. So, um, I am not a runner at all. I mean, I run around most of my life. I'm running around, but I'm not in a uh, competitive runner like some of you might be. But uh, the New York City Marathon, which is going to take place in about a month, is the largest marathon in the world. It averages a little over 50,000 participants every year. But what I discovered was not everyone who starts the New York City Marathon finishes the New York City Marathon. In fact, according to marathon officials, they say about 1.3%, about 650 of the more than 50,000 participants who average in any given year, don't complete the race, and their record is stamped as DNF, did not finish. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, you're going to see, you say, why am I talking about that, Pat? Because the Christian life is likened to a marathon. It is not a sprint. It is a test, and it is a walk of endurance. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. There's the verse for it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here's our example. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, watch the word now, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So it's a test, and it's a walk of endurance. It's a marathon, saints. It's not a sprint. And the sad truth is that not every saint who starts this marathon finishes the race God has for him. And there are way too many quitters in the body of Christ and not enough continuers. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, the apostle Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus and he's saying his goodbye because he's going to Jerusalem. He knows he's probably going to get captured in prison. And he says to them, he says, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. Now, I've only seen pictures. I've never, like I said, I don't run. But when you finish the marathon, the crowd is cheering you on when you cross that finish line. Just to finish, it's such a joy just to be able to finish and see everybody clapping and cheering and throwing Gatorade at you, whatever they're doing. It's a joy to finish well, to finish strong, to finish the race. But the key, what's the key to finishing? I'm telling it to all my campers. 
And I'm telling it to all of you. Because it's time to put your head down and keep running. It is not the time to take your foot off the gas. It's time to push it all the way down so the pedal hits the floor and you burn it out and you use any fuel left because I think, I think God is wetting his whistle and getting ready to blow that trumpet. So the key to finishing your course with joy is very simple. You've got to continue. You've got to continue. That's it. Like our dear Pastor Mel, our founding pastor, used to always say, you've got to keep on keeping on. Great advice. So how do you do that? And what should you keep doing now that you're saved? Well, if you are a camper and you want the revival fires of camp to keep burning, you know what you got to do? You got to continue in some things. Amen? And if you just are a Christian sitting here today, and if you're saved, let me hear you say amen. Amen. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today and you want to be closer to Jesus Christ tomorrow than you were today, you've got to keep on in some things. And I'm being very adventurous. I found seven things that the Bible says we should continue in. And I'm going to run through them real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And if you want to get closer, if you want to finish well, if you want to finish strong, if you want to finish with joy, these seven things are some things you got to keep on keeping on. So I'd like to talk to you today about, here's the title, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. Lord, you are worthy of all our strength. You're worthy of all our love. You said, dear Lord Jesus, that the first commandment was to love you first. So I pray, Lord, you just show us some practical things, Lord, that we could just keep on, that we might get closer to you and just keep this journey of a thousand miles one step at a time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 8. We're going to flip around a lot. Each of these could probably be a study in itself, but I'm just going to hit them, and then you can percolate and think about them and turn them into your own little Bible study or devotional. John chapter 8, verse 31. I'm going to do them in the order in which they appear. I think God knows what he's doing when he wrote his Bible. And I think the way God laid things out was the way we're supposed to see them in the scriptures. So I'm going to start with the first thing in the New Testament. He says to continue. It's Jesus Christ speaking in John 8, 31. He says, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Do you believe on him? Let me hear you say amen. Okay, I'm in the right auditorium. Those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word. Then are ye my disciples indeed. Number one, first thing you got to do is you got to keep on in God's word. <laughs> you got to keep on in this book. You notice in verse 31, Jesus Christ is looking for more than just believers. Now, if you're a believer, I'm glad you're saved. I'm glad your sins are forgiven. I'm glad they're rejoicing in heaven over one sin and they're repentant. I know. But do you know that your salvation was the start of the race and not the end of the race? And Jesus Christ that saved you and hung on that cross naked for you, like a stick, like a serpent on a pole, that beloved Savior who did that for you, he's looking for more than just believers. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for some followers. He's looking for some continuers. How can you be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you don't continue in the words of Jesus Christ? I may look dumb, but I'm not stupid. I mean, that's just like, hello, uh, 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 uh. that makes a little bit of sense to me, right? Didn't Jesus say in Luke 6, 46, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, 
and do not the things which I say. <laughs> he says the trademark of my disciples, they're going to be the ones that listen to what I'm saying. No, I, I know we've got a lot of union guys in here and stuff like that. I'm, I carry a card as well. But guess what? It used to be when a guy gets in the union or he gets in that special club, you know what he would get? He'd get his book. And that book would have all his stuff, right? You'd have a, a book that would have your, your rights, your privileges, all the benefits of being in that union or that club would all be in the book. Amen. Are you saved? Amen. When you got saved, you got a book. <laughs> and that book has all the rights, all the privileges, and all the benefits. You just got to continue in it and find out what God's got for you. That's how you find out. Now look at verse 32. Look what Jesus says. To the crowd that believes and continues. And ye, the ones who believe and stay with the book, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Who's he talking to? The disciples which believed on him, the ones that were willing to continue in his word. The promise of liberty is to those disciples who continue in God's word, not just start and then drop it. No, you'll be snared with the cords of your own sins, the Bible says. You'll be taken with the cords of your own sins if you put the Bible down. Listen, brethren, listen. I'm an English teacher. Don't judge me, all right? If the test is on the book and you stop reading after chapter one, you're going to fail the test, all right? <laughs> you know, Rachel back there teaches AP Chem, right? If you stop, what, what's, what's like the first thing you teach? Like density and all that stuff, all that shirt measurement, right? All that, that's like, a, if you stop there, you don't get into like bonding and all this other stuff you got to learn. You just stop, oh, I like chapter one, but I'm a little bored after chapter one. I'm just going to close the book. You're going to fail the exam. You're going to flunk the course. Brethren, if all the answers are in God's book, do you believe that? That book has all the answers. The Bible says that book has all things that pertain unto life and godliness are in the precious promises that the Lord not only died to save us with, but had other men die so we could have that Bible in our lap right now. That book right there is the kiss of God on your dear soul right there. That book right there is the most precious thing you have this side of heaven next to your salvation. That Bible is God's love letter to you. If all the answers are in that book, guess what? You've got to stay in the book and keep reading and keep searching. Why? So you find the victory. If you close the book and walk out of church before you ever get to where God wanted you to get, guess what? You're not going to find the liberty, the victory, the joy that God has waiting for you in chapter 10, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. But there's so many quitters. You wouldn't let a day go by without stuff in your face. Right? Fasting is like, whoa. <laughs> I know you do intermittent fasting. That doesn't count. Because in eight hours, you stuff your face with so many calories, it's like you had, you know, two days. Amen? <laughs> All right, so that doesn't count. You say, I fast. No, no, I don't mean, I don't mean you're 16, 8. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fasting. No, very few people fast these days. You don't let a day go by without stuffing your face. I got to eat. Oh, I got to eat. I got to eat. It's like we set our life to breakfast and lunch and dinner. I'm Italian too. Right now, my stomach is like, yeah, you got to eat. You definitely got to eat, right? It's just, we got to eat. And you know what? You don't even understand how that works. You put the thing in your mouth, and you know, I just get this energy. I get this strength. I get this ability to do the things I want to do. You understand digestion? Maybe Rachel does. I don't. <laughs> you put the thing in your mouth, and you just keep doing it because, you know, if I don't do this, I can't perform all the things I want to perform. People say, well, I don't read the Bible. I don't understand it. Really? 
Why would you let a day go by without searching the scriptures? See, you don't understand it. Somebody on the inside understands it. You just got to keep reading it. You just got to keep learning it. There's a man on the inside, if you're saved, that's getting nutrients and strength and power and grace and all the things. Why? So you could do the things you're supposed to do as a believer. But if you close the book, you're going to be famished. You're not going to be the Christian God could have you to be. And you will definitely not continue. So number one, if you want to continue First Bible Church, you've got to continue and keep on in God's word. Now go to John chapter 15. Let me give you the second one. I could have stayed on that first one for probably a week and a half, but I will leave that one alone. John 15, look at verse 9. Number two, what else we got to keep on? John 15, 9, read it with me. As the Father hath loved me, Jesus speaking, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Number two, you need to keep on in God's love. You need to keep on in God's love. That's Jesus Christ speaking in the upper room to his disciples. Those are his boys. That's his crew. That's his 12, right? One of, well, that's 11 left. One of them's already gone. He's got his boys there, the men he's poured his life into. He's not telling strangers there. He's telling his own right there. Continue ye in my love. And brethren, if we ever get away from God so loved, God's people are going to be oh so lost. If you forget that this whole Christian life is a relationship based on love. It's not based on laws. I know there's things you should and should not do as a believer, but we're not legalistic here. We're not law keepers here. We are, have a relationship based on love. Go to Romans chapter 8. Let me show you some things about that love. If we lose that love, we're not going to continue. Because when the life starts to give you a left hook, you're not going to keep going. You're going to stay down. You're going to throw in the towel. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma. He got dragged through the street. He got imprisoned. He got beaten. You know what he said? If I didn't think that this was all ordained by a God that loved me, I could never have tolerated my accumulated sufferings. And life's tough. Life's rough. Right? Life throws you left hooks and right hooks. If you didn't understand that God loved you when the clouds obscured the sun, you quit. You say, what is this? What am I? What am I, a sadist? What am I, some kind of nut job for keeping on with this stuff? Romans 8.35, the Lord's asked the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's a rhetorical question. Shall tribulation or distress, you felt any of these things? Or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword... He's saying, hey, the worst the world can throw at you, it's not going to separate the fact that God so loved you. Hey, let Putin do what Putin wants to do. Let this guy do what he wants to do. That doesn't change God's love for you one bit. God so loved you. He loved you and gave himself for you. You can't, you got to continue in that, guys, or else you're going to quit. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to give up. Read verse 38. For I am persuaded, are you? That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, in case he missed one, he throws in the anything else in there, shall be able to separate us, the Christians, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's amazing. You know what the love of Christ is? It's unconditional. It's amazing love you got to continue in that amazing love. It was love when you were unlovable. 
It was love with no strings attached. It was love with just nothing but God's goodness intended for you. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me tell you something else about that love of Christ. Flip fast with me now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse number 14. It's not just unconditional. It's unavoidable. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14. Paul writes, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all that they which live. Are you alive? Say amen. Amen. (laughs) Amen. You're alive in Christ. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The love of Christ is unavoidable. It's not just amazing. It affects your life. How could you really have gotten a good look at that cross? And seeing Jesus Christ pour out himself, just be poured out like water, and not want to live for him a little bit. Not be moved a little bit to want to lay something down that you might give him some glory. I don't, I'm afraid of a Christian that can say, I'm washed in the blood, I know Jesus Christ went to hell and back for me, and just leave him on the side of the road where you go live your sinful life and pretend like that cross never happened. I don't know how it cannot affect you. I'm not saying you're all surrendering to the mission field today, but how can that affect you? This guy, he didn't just take a bullet for you. He went to hell for you. He burned for you. He was, he was sorrowing for you. He laid, he poured his whole, and he didn't have to, right? He didn't have to. You could have all gone to hell, and he would have been fine. He could have started another universe somewhere. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know what that says? Wow, I was a dead man and God gave me life. I was sitting in the chair. They were ready to flip the switch and electrocute me. And the call came from the governor. He didn't just stay the execution. He pardoned me. He forgave me. And he made me free. How could I not wake the dungeon flamed with light and say, Lord, I'd like to try to give something back to you. I'd like to say thank you. Can Can I do that, Lord? It's unavoidable, the love of Christ. Go to chapter, uh, go to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Let me say one more thing about the love of Christ. Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, verse 17. Love of Christ is unconditional. It's amazing. It's unavoidable. It affects your life. And lastly, the love of Christ is unmeasurable. It's absolutely limitless. There's enough for you, there's enough for you, there's enough for you, there's enough for you, there's enough for you. There's enough for all of us in here to get as much as we need, as much as we want. How come only John was leaning on Jesus' breast at summer? How come more of them weren't that close? If they knew that, and he's the apostle that Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he saw himself. I think if you saw how much God really loved you, how much Jesus Christ really loved you, I think you'd want to lean on his breast also. I think you'd want to get as close as you could. And that's what's going to keep you continuing. See uh, Ephesians 3.17? This is a prayer of the Holy Spirit through Paul for the Christian. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And here's what he wants you to know, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. That's a contradiction. You're going to know something that's beyond knowledge because the Spirit of God will let you know it. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. This is not a human love, a filial type of love. This is a supernatural love that the Holy Spirit can impress upon you. Why? That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. 
You want to go fawn for God? You want to be strengthened? You want to continue? You've got to get lost in that love. That's, listen, the Bible says, if faith worketh by love, and it says that, faith worketh by love. If faith worketh by love, tell me, how can you continue to walk by faith if you're not lost in his love? The love is what, you're not going to make the trip. You don't have enough gas in your car. The fuel is the love. That's what fuels your faith. You know what C.S. Lewis said? He said, the Christian does not think God will love us because we are good. No. But that God will make us good because he loves us. (laughs) Just as the roof of a sun house does not attract the sun because it is bright, but becomes bright because the sun shines on it, right? Because God shines on you through his love, that's what changes you. That's what keeps you going. So the Bible says in Jude, keep yourselves in the love of God. Stay inside that little greenhouse and just remind yourself, I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Stick your name in there if you're saved. Because that's a, the same way God the Father loves his son is the same way God loves you. Amen. Continue in his love. Go to Acts chapter 13. Let me give you number three. I'm hurrying. I'm doing some low-level flying. They got spoiled by that distinguished Mark Andino last week. You know, he was very distinguished up here and blazer. No tie. I saw it. It was good. It was good. It was a good message. Amen? That was a good message. Amen? It's good to know that there are some guys in here that can just pick up the banner and go forward, right? Even if it is at 7.30 in the morning, Brother Andrew. Thank you. Amen? And that was a great message also. I was, I was blessed. You know, I was blessed. I was blessed. My heart was full. I wanted to be here, but I was like, wow, this was great. This was great. John, uh, no, Acts chapter 13. Let me give you the third thing. Acts 13.43. Now, when the congregate, they're in Antioch here, Pisidia, Paul and Barnabas and the gang. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Number three is you need to keep on in God's grace. Do you see what they're doing there? They're encouraging the churches. They're exhorting the brethren to continue in the unmerited favor of God, the undeserved goodness of God, the unearned smile of God upon your life, which we call grace. That's grace. Let's do a little test. Let's do a little fill in the blank, okay? Ephesians 2.8, let's just do a little quiz. Fill in the blank. For by blank are ye saved through faith. Ready? For by Amen. Very good class. You get a gold star. Some of you said a little late because you didn't know it. You're like, grace. Yeah, he was thinking it was gravy, right? (laughs) You know, God had to save you by his amazing grace because you didn't deserve it and you couldn't earn it. Can I get an amen there? (laughs) You didn't get saved by your works. You got saved by grace because you couldn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. So God had to supernaturally, the Bible says, the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That amazing grace had to bring you salvation. Well, let me just reason something out with you here. If you needed grace to save you, you need God's grace 
to keep you keeping on. That seems pretty logical to me. I mean, you know, Paul, Paul was, Paul was a, you know, we think Paul was like a scholar. Paul was a tent maker. The apostle Paul, he was a doer, man. He didn't sit on his hands. We always think Peter was the first guy to stick his foot in his mouth, and he was, but Paul was right there with him, man. Paul was bold. Paul jumped into the synagogue. Paul opened his mouth and preached. Paul was not like a, a passive mishkina. You know, that's a, that's a Bible word, mishkina. That's Italian for you. He was not a weakling. He was bold, and he was opened his mouth and all that stuff. But you know what Paul had to learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He's praying about this eyesight. He's praying about this storm, which I think was his eyesight. He's praying, he's praying, he's praying. You know what God says after the third night of prayer, I think, that he was praying? He says, God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Translation, Paul, you might be learned, you might be bold, you might be all these things, but you're weak. You don't have the ability to do this without my grace. You're weak, you're frail, you're dust. All I got to do when the table is dusty, you go like this, and the dust will scatter all over. And God had to remind Paul with that little thorn, I know you see all this stuff, you know all these things about God and about me, and I gave you a revelation, but don't ever forget, Paul, that you're weak, and you need my grace to be the strength in your weakness. That's a great lesson we all need to learn. You know what Paul did? Paul learned the lesson. He says, okay, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power may be of God and not of men. And then he turned around years later, and he had to give some parting advice to his son, Timothy, his young preacher boy that he was his protege, and he's training him, and he's going to get into talking about spiritual warfare in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He's going to talk about being a good soldier in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And where does he start? Where does he start the chapter? He says, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. You're going to be a soldier? Remember that you're weak. Remember that you're frail. Remember that you're dust. And never stop leaning on Jesus. Never stop depending on his grace. Because I'm going to tell you something from experience. If you try and live for God in your own strength, you're going to fail and you're going to quit. It's going to overwhelm you. The the, the tumult is never going to stop. It's going to seem like I got to do all this stuff and all this bad. I don't know why I'm even doing this. And you're going to quit. Trust me, been there, done that. You're going to quit. You got to just lean on Jesus. Say, Lord, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Lord, I need your grace. I need your strength. I'm weak. You know I keep saying that? Because your pride doesn't like hearing that. You like to think you're strong. You like to think you can do it. And I know it's great to be young and have strength and use it for the Lord. Praise God. But I've been reminded as of late, all it takes is one visit, one weird smear on a blood test, and you realize that life is but a vapor. You're weak. I'm thankful that he remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. We forget because we're stunad. We forget. Isn't it interesting that right after the fall, God had to tell Adam, hey, remember your dust? Because that pride, that sin is going to make you think you're self-sufficient. I can do it by the strength of my hands. No, you can't. You want to keep on? You want to be here next year? You want to finish strong? You better continue in God's grace. You better keep on leaning on the Lord for everything. 
for everything, you better lean on Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I need help. I need grace. You got to be my strength. Let your strength be made perfect in my weakness. Let the weak say, I am strong. (laughs) Amen. The psalmist, I think, declared. Listen, Moody said this. A man does not get grace till he comes down to the ground. Till he sees that he needs grace. When a man stoops to the dust and acknowledges that he needs mercy, then it is that the Lord will give him grace. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Let's just get down, humble our hearts, humble our knees, and say, Lord, without you, I'm nothing. That's that's what's going to keep you going when life throws a left hook at you. Go to Acts chapter 14. Let me give you something else. Does that that make sense? I need that because sometimes I think I could do it in my own strength. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And God had to say, back the truck up, son. You can't do anything, right? I could do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's a great verse. Here's another thing. Here's number four. I'm I'm doing good. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Stay with me now. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. We're now at the end of their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas. And it says in Acts 14, 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must do much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Number four, if you're going to finish your race with joy, you need to keep on keeping on the faith. You need to keep on keeping the faith. You see right there in verse 22, at the end of their first missionary journey, they exhort the disciples to keep the faith. We say that all the time. Keep the faith, brother. Keep the faith. What does the Bible mean by the faith? The faith is the body of doctrine we believe once delivered unto the saints. Things like the deity of Christ. Right, that Jesus Christ is God. Things like that salvation is by grace through faith, through a blood atonement. That's a a part of the faith. Things like um, the preservation in God's word that you hold in your lap in a King James Bible. That's something we believe. That's part of the faith. Things like the second coming and all the truths related to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming for his church in the rapture. That's part of the faith. If you don't know those things, you're not going to continue well. That's why we teach the Bible on Thursdays, why we teach the Bible on Sundays, why we teach the Bible all the time. We're teaching the Bible and opening the Bible because what you need is not a story for me to be relevant and sharing with you to give you a spiritual buzz on a Sunday. You need some Bible. You need some doctrine. You need to know Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You're supposed to learn some things. The Bible says grow in grace and knowledge, right? Not to be intellectual, but for your soul to know the truth. And the truth is going to make you free. And what you know about God has got to be so important that you keep it, that you protect it, that you hold it dear. Go to Colossians 1. Let me show you how important this is. Go to Colossians 1, which is to the right, a few flips, I think. Colossians 1, Colossians 1, look at verse 21. Paul says this in Colossians 1, 21 to the dear Christians in Colossae and in Laodicea. So he's aiming this at us, right? 
He says, And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, if that was you, say amen, <laughs> yet now hath he reconciled, God made peace when there was enmity. How did he do that? In the body of his flesh through death, to present you, here's God's ultimate goal, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So God saved you so that one day when you cross that finish line, here's my chariots of fire moment, right? Dun, 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 dun. Right, I'm crossing the finish line. He wants you to cross that finish line and finish your race holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. That's your presentation day when you walk down that aisle and get married to Jesus Christ and that bride finally comes home. He says he wants you to walk and finish well. He says, how are you going to do that? The verse doesn't stop. He says in verse number 23, if ye continue in the faith. Grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. He's saying, guys, you're never gonna make it. You're never gonna finish well if you move away from the doctrines of this book. When you throw the doctrines of this book overboard, you're not gonna finish well. You're not gonna be unreprovable. You're not gonna be unblameable. You're not gonna be what God wanted you to be. Why? How do you know you're following the Lord if you don't know the Lord you think you're following? Right? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. There's a lot of Jesuses out there. The Bible warns about another Jesus. The Bible warns about false ministers. We get into this book and we learn the doctrines of this book. Why? So because the doctrine affects our deeds. What we know is supposed to affect our life. Example. Here's an example. There's a great doctrine in the New Testament that is hardly taught in churches around the world. You know what it is? The doctrine of the judgment seat of Christ. The fact that I know I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of what I did with his so great salvation and there's a reward that I could lose or gain at that moment. Not my salvation, but a reward. You know what that does? That keeps me keeping on. (laughs) That keeps me straight. The doctrine of Jesus Christ coming in. You know what that does? That gives me hope. That wakes me up. That makes me realize, oh, this thing is not going to... You know what? I, I was walking around yesterday. My family and I went out to eat. We had a nice time. I came home and I said it out loud. My wife looked at me. Why are you saying this? I said, this is not going to continue forever. Just the Holy Spirit just brought that thought to me. Like, it's not just going to be going to work, going to dinner, going to church. It's not going to be. One day there's going to be an end to this thing. And you and I are going to walk across that threshold. And it's going to be reward time or not. You know what that doctrine does? That doctrine helps me walk. That doctrine keeps me straight. That doctrine makes me not get moved away from the hope of the gospel. If I don't continue in that doctrine, you know what Pastor Mel used to say? I heard him say it out of his own lips. He said, the great tragedy of churches today is the failure of the preaching of the judgment seat of Christ. It's all about feel good, feel this, feel that, fix your marriage, have you relevant, how to train your kids, blah, 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 blah. Let me just meet you where you are, come as you are, not as you should be. All that gas that people say all over the place, and maybe it's well-intentioned, but that old saint, Pastor Mel, said, we're not talking about the fact that one day you're going to stand in front of Jesus Christ and give an account. That keeps you locked. That keeps you focused. You know, um, I still think America is the best country on the earth. I know we got our faults and our warts, but I was happy I could walk in today without a gun pointed at me and nobody, I didn't have to be shy if I held my Bible when I walked from the car to the door. Amen? That's still a blessing. You know the Declaration of Independence, the uh, Constitution, and the Bill of Rights are stored 
in a 50-ton, that's a lot of elephants, a 50-ton steel and concrete vault. They're displayed at the National Archives. When the documents are on exhibition, they are protected by two armed guards who can activate the vault mechanism at any time. You say, why all the hoopla about some old pieces of paper? Because they're trying to preserve the government we enjoy. Now, I don't know. We've come a pretty far way from where those guys started this thing. But you know what? Some people still think those documents are there to be preserved because those are the founding documents of this country. And those founding documents are kept so the republic can continue. Amen? Amen. And guess what? The faith God delivered to the saints must be kept so Christians can continue. That's why we make a big deal about doctrine in this place, because what we know about God from his word is the most important reason why God even gave us his word. So you'd know about God and who he is and how he works. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let me finish this point here. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, Paul's talking to his preacher boy again. 1 Timothy 4.1. He says this. Now the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit speaketh expressly. That's like Cher in the movie Moonstruck slapping you across the face and saying, snap, what's the matter with you, right? I just dated myself. Everybody under 30 is just like, Moonstruck, what is that, right? Anyway, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, hello, some shall depart from the faith. They're not going to stop believing. They're going to stop caring about the doctrines that God gave us, right? Right? Keep reading. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. My brethren, the churches have been infiltrated. I'm not saying we're not, we're perfect, but I do know this, that I could take a rock and throw it in a lot of directions and a lot of people meeting in a church today and talking about things and holding up a Bible and saying things that God never said doing things God never said to do, rocking and rolling and smoke machine and shaking their moneymaker like it's something that's supposed to happen in church, like all this stuff is happening. God said that was going to happen in the last days, that we would be the minority of the minority because many people professing Christ are going to take the faith, the doctrine, and just throw it overboard and just give heed to all types of spirits. He calls them doctrines of devils. I ask you a question. Will you earnestly contend for the faith? (laughs) Bible says earnestly contend for the faith. Or you're going to give in to devilish ideas. God help me. God help the leadership here to stand and not dip the colors. Even if we're the last people standing, remember the Alamo. If we're surrounded and everybody's pointing at us like you're a bunch of wackadoos for holding on to that book and holding on to those hymns and holding on to the old past, guess what? I want to be the last one standing because right at that moment, I'm probably going to hear my captain say, I'm coming and we'll be out of here. So you got to keep the faith. Go to Romans chapter 11. Let me give you a couple more. These are quick. Romans 11. I'm just trying to encourage you. How do you continue? How do you keep on? These are practical things. Romans 11, verse 22. Praise the Lord. Romans 11, 22. You got to keep on in God's word. You got to keep on in God's love. You got to keep on in God's grace. You got to keep on keeping the faith. And number 
5, Romans eleven twenty two. the Lord says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou also shalt be cut off. To continue, you've got to keep on in God's goodness. Now, what he's talking about in Romans 11 is not anything personal or individual. He is speaking to the Gentiles as a group. And he says, hey, Gentiles, remember, on Israel fell God's severity, that God removed them and set them aside. And now I took you Gentiles, and I gave you an open door to be grafted in. And if you ever forget that you didn't deserve to be grafted in and think you're somebody and Israel's nobody, you're going to be cut off too. I'll set you aside, Gentiles. It's not an individual thing he's talking about here. He's not saying I'm going to cut you off and kick you out. He's saying, hey, Gentiles... You better remember the goodness that God showed to you, that you were undeserved, you were outside the promises of Israel. That's what Romans 9, 10, and 11 is about, how the Gentiles were grafted in when Israel was set aside. We got that? But let's make it personal here. Paul's warning the Gentiles not to forget about God's goodness to them, but we could personalize it in this application here, that if you're going to continue for the Lord, you best never forget that God has been good you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. God's plan didn't have to include you. His kingdom wasn't going to keep on trucking with or without you. And God smiled enough to let you in on what he was doing and make you a part of his plan. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. You know what? We got to ask, remind ourselves that because we live in a world right now where everyone asks, oh, if God is so good, you know what's going to happen. You know the answer to that question. Why do all these bad things happen? If God is so good, why is there suffering? If God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? That's the wrong question. You know what the right question is? We should be asking, if God is so good, why did he let you wake up this morning? That's the question. Because if God is so good and he's really going to start zapping people, we all should have been incinerated a long, long time ago. If God is so good that he should be throwing thunderbolts down at everybody who does wrong, guess what? I should have been zapped a long, long time ago. Don't forget how good God has been to you because, you know, if we were to make a list of things that make people quit church and quit God, you know what's at the top of the list probably? The difficulties and disappointments of life are one of the leading reasons why people quit on God. I felt it. When that doctor said leukemia, I felt it like a like an agita in my throat, like something coming back in my taste buds. It was like, it was so right there to just want to quit and close up and give up and just something. The Holy Spirit by, and your prayers just was enough to say, don't quit, Pat. Don't quit. Don't quit. God's been good to you. He's been good. Don't quit on him now. Don't quit on him now, Pat. And your prayer helped me with that. Your prayer held me up. And the world, hey, man, we think we got something coming. We think we deserve better. We don't. And don't ever underestimate how difficulties and disappointments will turn you against God. Have you ever heard of Charles Darwin? Who hasn't? I mean, he's dominated the science classrooms for the last, you know, 150, almost 200 years, right? Do you know Charles Darwin was affected by a disappointment in his life? When Charles Darwin's daughter, Annie, died of illness at age 10, It changed him forever. Darwin was so overcome with grief 
he couldn't even go to his daughter's burial. Biographers say after her death, he became more willing to proclaim his theories and proclaim his religious doubts. And in November 1859, he publishes his big book on the origin of species. And biographer Leander Hout said this. She said, you can see the influence of Annie's death in his shaping of that book. A book that changed the stuff your kids are still learning today grew out of somebody getting mad at God, getting angry at God, getting disappointed with God, and starting to proclaim, I don't know if God did all this. And you trace it back, trace all the big atheists back, trace all of them, the the, the Richard Dawkins and the Christopher Hitchens and the Sam Harrises and the Daniel Dennis. Yeah, I know who the horsemen of the atheist apocalypse are. I've listened to them. You trace them all back. When you pin them right down, it isn't science. They don't understand why a good God would allow bad in the world. That's what it always comes down to. You know what the Bible says six times? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. You know why we thank God? Not because maybe you got a kid that was healthy. That's a blessing. You know why you really thank God? Because he's merciful. Because all you deserved was hell. All you deserved was judgment, and God gave you exceeding abundant above all that you could ask or think. And you got to keep reminding yourself, Lord, thank you for your mercy. 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 Hey, we should have ourselves a good shouting match just for realizing how good God has been to you. Got nothing to do with your bank account. Got nothing to do with your house. Got nothing to do with how many cars you drive. Has to do with the fact that you're a sinner who deserves hell and God smiled on your soul and hung on a cross to rescue you. And he's given you so much more since then. You do well to thank him. And stop seeing the glass half empty and see it overflowing and running onto the saucer. Because the goodness of God, if you keep yourselves there, you know what? You'll keep going. But if you start thinking you deserve better than the backside of hell, you're liable to quit. Well, I deserve this. Doesn't he know I'm preacher and I'm blah, 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 blah. No, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And now I'm a son because of his mercy. Go to Colossians chapter 4, number 6. Colossians 4. Let me give you something else that's practical. You need to keep on praying. That's one of our six. Colossians 4, 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. The same God that commanded, thou shalt not kill, Commanded, keep praying. It has the same weight, right? You know, it has the same weight. We say, thou shalt not kill. I would never break that commandment. Oh, yeah, do you stop praying? How's your prayer life? Jonathan Edwards, who helped lead the first great awakening in this country in the 1740s, he said, prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is to life. I'm not too smart science-wise, but if you can't live without breathing, it's been shown in scientific tests that you can't live without breathing. Just hold your breath for really long and you'll prove it for me, right? If you can't live without breathing, how can you run this race called the Christian life without praying, without continuing to pray? 
And I know what the flesh says. Well, I don't see the answer. What if the answer and the victory is one more prayer away? And you quit right before you got it. You say, well, I'm tired of waiting. What if God is working on you while you're wrestling with him? You ever think there's something to this thing called waiting on God? You ever read about old man Jacob back there in Genesis 32? Jacob wrestled all night with the Lord for the blessing. It's a picture of prayer, right? And you know what that means? You know what happened to Jacob? His name was changed that night. And he never walked the same after that night. You say, I know some of you are praying for things for a long time. People that get saved, victories in your life, stuff that you want God to give you or get out of your life. I know. It's, and you're saying, man, I'm waiting so long. Man, I, you know what I encourage you to do? Keep praying. Continue in prayer. Because what if, what if, what if? What if the Lord said continue in prayer so he can get the old man out of you? Amen. Get the Jacob out of you the deceiver, the supplanter, the wicked guy, and get some Israel into you, a prince who has power with God. Maybe that's why you're wrestling all night. Maybe, maybe, I'm just going to speculate, maybe what if he's keeping you praying so he could change your walk forever? Old man Jacob had that limp for the rest of his life. He spent all night wrestling with the angel, and he never walked the same. You know what? You continue in prayer. You know what? Your walk is never going to be the same. So before you give up on God and stop praying, why don't you realize maybe God is working something out much bigger than your little request. He's trying to change you and change your walk forever. And I mean, if a relationship is built on communication, how can your relationship with the Lord thrive Or continue if you stop talking to the Lord. If you stop praying. How can it thrive? The first thing that usually goes is your prayer life. And then your Bible. And then church is last. You don't think I'm right? That's how it goes, my friend. You stop that private devotion with God. Then you stop even looking at that book. And then pretty soon you skip one week, you skip three weeks, you skip a month, and then "Ah, I'm out. And then you're out. you got to get back to that continue in prayer. Amen? We want to be a praying church. Lastly, go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. So, if you want to finish the race, continue in God's word, continue on God's love, continue in God's grace, continue keeping the faith, continue in God's goodness, keep on praying. And number seven, I did it. Number seven, perfection. Completion. If you're going to finish your race with joy, you got to keep on applying what you know. You got to keep applying what you learn. Don't just sit there like a lump on a log, a pew sitter, and just sit there and go, all right, that was a very lovely song. The Bible is meant not just to be for our information, I say it a lot, but for our transformation. You should be sitting there during a message, not like a passive spectator, just as a participant, taking notes, paying attention, go, Lord, what are you trying to say to me, Lord? What are you trying to say to me, Lord? Not your neighbor. Not, I wish somebody else was here. No, eh, eh, wrong, no, no. It's for you, because you're here. Right? 
Look at, look at Paul. He's talking to his preacher boy again, 1 Timothy 4.16. He tells his protege, Timothy, he says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Timothy was a pastor. Timothy was a preacher. He says, Hey, son, make sure you take this stuff and make this stuff personal. This stuff you're learning about God, this stuff I've taught you and imparted to you, make sure you take it personal. Make sure you apply it to yourself first. That's the only way you're going to be a blessing to anybody else. I had to get down this morning and repent before God. I say, Lord, you know what? I get so distracted by all the stuff that's going on. I got to get back to the fact that the pulse of my relationship is me and you, Lord. I got to do this for you, Lord. I got to do this for your honor and your glory and out of thanksgiving for you. And whoever comes, comes. Whoever doesn't come, doesn't come. Whoever gets right, gets right. But you know what, Lord? I, just, I want my fire to burn because the coal came off the altar of your sacrifice, Lord. Amen. And I had to repent. Do you need to repent? I had to repent. Because I read that verse and I was like, man, what am I dumb? What am I, an idiot? Because I am. My kids will say a quiet amen. But I am, right? Take heed unto thyself. Clean your own porch. Take care of your own stuff. Take the word of God and apply it to yourself. Because every time you point that finger at somebody else, you got three pointing back at you. So you're saying amen, praise the Lord. But you know what? Lord, what am I supposed to get out of this? What am I supposed to change? What do I need to shore up? What do I need to continue doing? Go to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3.12. Hey, do you want to finish the race with joy? I mean, this is not a theoretical thing, folks. This is not an abstract ideology I'm giving you here. Like any day now, a trumpet is going to blow and the Lord is going to take you home. And the first thing John saw when he got caught up to heaven was a throne. Because the first thing that's going to happen after he calls us home, before you tour the grounds and check out your accommodations, you're going to get online at that judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to give an account for what you did with this great salvation that the Lord gave you. That should sober you up and wake you up and say, man, Lord, I want to continue. I want to finish that well. I want to get the reward that God has for me, laid up in store for me. Here's seven things you could do to continue and get that. Verse number 12 of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're going to take your lumps. The world is going to hate you. People at work are going to look at you. The folks in the job are going to hear you listen to that message and drop a bomb on you, right? Kristen has a, don't share that anecdote with everybody. It's, you know, they're, going to, they're not going to understand you, right? It's going to happen. Keep going. Verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. I mean, I try not to watch the news too much. But it's hard when you got a freak of nature wearing balloons on his chest like he's a woman. Right? We've all seen that, right? You're a freak. You are a freak. I don't care what pronouns you put on your Zoom call, that is freakish. If you're a woman, that was freak, that's freakish. And you're not a woman. Definitely a community strike. God bless you. Right? But I mean, come on. I'm not trying to be really nasty, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. But look what the Bible says. But continue thou 
in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He says, no matter what anyone else is doing, make sure you do right. Oh, but look at them, they reject God. Are you rejecting God's word? Oh, look what they do. Are you walking holy? Oh, look how evil they are. Yeah, are you living in the light as he is in the light? You see, I can't control what the knuckleheads do. I can't control what pronouns they want to use. I can't control how evil they want to be. I mean, little girls getting shot in Crown Heights. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff going on in this world. I can't control that. You know what I got control over? This little piece of dirt called me. I can't get my neighbors close to God. I can't even get you close to God. But I can get this heart close to God. So as it's all going to hell and it's all going to pot and it all looks like the waves are crashing overboard, Paul tells Timothy, just keep on, son. Just keep on. Keep applying what you know that book says you're supposed to do, even if you are the last man standing. Keep on. Because everything you learn about God is intended to perfect you first. Nobody else. It's for you. This message is for you. I'll point to all of you, right? It's all for you. Not just corporately. I miss you over here. Did I miss you over here? Right? It's for you. You got to take it personal and apply what God says for you to do. I didn't say go stand on the street corner. I didn't say throw your keys in the offering box. I didn't say surrender to bongo bongo land. I said, what is God speaking to you today and apply? Because if you make a habit like a muscle memory, and when God speaks to you through a message or your reading, if you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and a thought comes into your mind, you should do this, and you obey it, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get stronger at that. You're going to get more. That's how you walk in the Spirit. But if you're walking through the, 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 the whatever, you're online at the Walgreens, whatever, and you're over there getting your stuff, and the Holy Spirit says, give him a track. And you quench that fire, he may not speak the next time. Because you're not interested. But if as awkward as it is, you're like, uh, could I give you this? I'd like you to have this. And they don't chop your head off. You know what? The next time, you might get a little bolder. You might get a little stronger. Or whatever it is. You know, the Lord may say, get this out of your life. Throw that music out. Turn that movie off. Don't say that to that person. And that thought comes through your mind from the Holy Spirit of God. You know what you need to do? Get in the habit of, a, okay, Lord, what are you trying to say? And that's how you walk in the Spirit. And that's how you get better. Listen, the Bible is useless unless you do something with it. So what are you doing with what you know? Challenge. Finish with me in second. We've got two verses left. Here's my conclusion. Second Thessalonians 2. Second Thessalonians 2. So good to see you again, folks. Really a blessing. Look forward to seeing more of you next week, those of you on the mend and away and stuff. But 2 Thessalonians 2, the Christian life is the greatest marathon you could ever run. It's the greatest marathon. It's just like, wow, it's the race of the ages to run the Christian life, to spend and be spent for Jesus Christ, to run this race. But here's the difference between the Christian life and the New York City Marathon. Because the New York City Marathon most of them finish, like 1.3% don't. But unlike the New York City Marathon, very few believers finish the race with joy. How do I know that? 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. 
Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. Right? You haven't missed the rapture. <laughs> Neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. He's coming, beloved. He's coming. He says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. It means the folks that were walking with God before he comes back are going to all start dropping out. And you're going to feel like the minority of the minority. You're going to feel like, is there something wrong with me? You see, in the Christian race, most people quit and only a few finish strong. Are you going to be in that number? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read this and then we're going to close. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. 2 Timothy 4, 3. Here's Paul's testimony. Let's make it be our testimony. He said, isn't it interesting? Paul died alone in prison. Where were the great revivals? Where were the huge crowds? Paul was by himself, blind with a medical doctor as his only companion. Finish here, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. See, brethren, I'm done, but here's the thought I want you to leave with. You're all going to finish the race. It's all going to end. Just because you dropped out doesn't mean you can cop out. The question is, is God going to stamp a DNF on you at the judgment seat of Christ? Did not follow. Did not follow. Did not follow. Did not stay faithful. Do you want to hear the Lord say, well done, when you stand before him? Won't that be a joy to cross that finish line saying, Lord, I tried. I made a lot of mistakes, but I tried to keep loving you and have the right spirit towards you, Lord. Man, they're going to be cheering. Sound the horn. Man, it's going to be exciting. Or are you willing to hear him say, well, at least you made it. What shame that would be to finish like crashing into the rocks with nothing to cast at his feet, no crowns. Listen, you don't have to walk on water to finish with joy. You just have to be willing to keep on keeping on. Let's stand for prayer. That's our challenge for today. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. But I hope you take something to heart from today. Let's bow our heads. We'll have a word of prayer here.